So we're going to talk about today, John chapter 11. We've been in the book of John, and we've been talking about the I am. This has kind of been a series. He's been saying everything that he is, the I am series, John chapter 11. When Pastor Austin told me he was going to be gone, he asked if I would preach. He said, I'm going to let you have John chapter 11 because it's an easy chapter. And I said, yes, (laughs) right? And if you know anything about John chapter 11, it's about Lazarus. Raise your hand if you know who Lazarus is. He was dead. And then Jesus brought him back to life, right? Kind of a big deal, amen? Whoa, come on now. The dude was dead, okay? And, now, and then he was alive. That's a big deal, right? Right, big deal. Okay, but when I was studying and I was reading, you know, John chapter 11 over and over again, I figured out that there's actually three groups of people that all had an if mentality, an if mentality. So the title of my sermon today is Conquering the If. We're actually not even going to talk about Lazarus, which is kind of funny. But we're going to talk about three groups of people, okay? It's interesting how this tiny word has so much weight sometimes, right? The power that this word has over our minds is unreal. We have these if scenarios that run through our head, and they just get bigger and bigger. And nine times out of ten, those scenarios don't even ever happen. Have you ever been there? Raise your hand if you've ever been there right? So like, for example, um, maybe you were arguing with your spouse or your friends. Are you saying, hey, listen to this, to the boys? Ah, all right. So we'll come talk to the boys here. Um, A sibling, right? Um, For those of you that are married, the spouse, listen up, okay? So you had an argument and it didn't get resolved yet and you go your separate ways, right? And you're sitting. Actually, I don't sit. I I do the laundry, right? <laughs> get a little upset or I start cleaning. The house gets really clean when this happens, okay? But you're just thinking about all these things that you wish you would have said, and when you finally do come back together, you know exactly what you're going to say, right? Well, if, if he says this, I'm going to say this, right? Am I the only one that does this? You guys are just staring at me. Okay. Whew. Thank you, Robin. Robin's with me. If they do this, this is what I'm going to say, Right? Not our brightest moments in life, right? This is what we do. We play this if game in our head. We waste time and energy, intellect, sleep. Sometimes if it doesn't get resolved, sleep. The list could go on and on because of the if. Each scenario gets worse and worse, sometimes more and more rude, right? When we allow the if to rule our lives, we're operating in fear and we're functioning in defeat. I'm going to say that again. When we let that if rule our life and our minds, we're operating in fear and we're functioning in defeat. So today in chapter 11, we're going to discuss these three groups of people and the emotions that they had that led to these ifs. And hopefully we'll learn how to respond better and more properly when stuff gets thrown at us. Okay. So let's start with verse 1 through 16. We're going to break this up into chunks. John chapter 11, if you need to turn your Bible. Verses 1 through 16. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. 
So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going to go back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go there and wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So this first portion of scripture introduces us to the disciples. And we're going to talk about the disciples if. The first if statement shows us that human logic can lead us to a what if. A what if. In verse 8, they said, but Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going to go back? What they were saying was, um, um, Jesus, do you remember when we were there not too long ago? This was in chapter 10 that we talked about last week. They weren't so happy with you, right? Uh, if we go back there, there might be trouble. What if... We go there and something happens again. What if? Now things, they were starting to get iffy in this walk with Jesus. Jesus was stirring the waters, right? He was doing these miracles. He was, you know, arguing with them about religious law. The disciples didn't clearly understand why these things were happening, but I guarantee you they were walking around looking, you know, behind them, right? Looking over their shoulders. They knew something was up, right? They saw the carnal. They saw the angry Jews gathered around Jesus in chapter 10, and they were asking him, admit that you're the Messiah. And when he did, they said, blasphemy. And then they, they tried to stone him, right? And it even says that Jesus escaped their grasp. Their grasp. Their grasp? They had their angry hands on Jesus, right? These disciples, they witnessed that these angry men had their hands on Jesus, and that exper the experience left them with fear, with fear. That's why they're saying, if we go back, it could be hard, and they're validated in that fear, right? If Jesus was fully man at the same time as being fully God, I believe he understood that fear. He knew what they were feeling. He knew, you know, that they were against going back. But this is his response. Verse 9 and 10. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Huh? Right? If you're the disciples, you're like, what? Does it say? What does that mean? <laughs> right? Jesus always, right, is responding with a very eloquent metaphor. Just as it's safer to travel during the day, you know, with the sun, can we agree? Like, there's lots of people that don't like to drive at night, right? It is safe to travel with Jesus. He's saying, it's okay to travel with me, the S-O-N, right? Because I am the true light of the world. This is what I pictured in my head, right? This is what Jesus is saying. Are you ready? 
Thank you for being a friend Traveling down the road and back again Your heart is true You're a pal and a confidant I thought you guys would start singing with me <laughs> Like, I thought everybody knew that song But he sang, thank you guys I know we've been a lot of places We gotta travel again I get it, but listen Thank you for your concern, but we have nothing to worry about. We have nothing to worry about yet. I am the light of the world, and the light will not be darkened yet. Right? The time has not run out. I still have time. And guess what? I know the timeline. Right? He was there when it, was, when it started. So he knew the timeline. Now, was the timeline of his time on earth about to run out? Yes. But he knew it wasn't yet, and he knew what was about to go down was so God could be glorified. That's why he wasn't worried. He also knew, in verses, like in verses 1 through 7, why he wanted to go. Why he wanted to go, because he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So he tells his disciple, Lazarus is asleep, and they need to go wake him up. That, of course, confuses the disciples again. And he has to tell them plainly, dudes, Lazarus is dead. Let's go, right? He says, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. So this is his why. He loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus, right? And then he's doing this so that they may believe. Not just the disciples, but the sheep that he was just preaching about, right, in in John chapter 10. The sheep. It is for them so that someday they they may believe. And the last verse in this section, verse 16, shares one of the disciples' response And let me tell you, even after all of this, you know, revelation, a lot of us would probably be just like him, right? Verse 16, Thomas said to the rest of his disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I don't, I didn't know how to say it, die. There's lots of ways he could have said it. Let's go so we might die. You know, we don't know, right, how he said it, but he really truly believed that they could die. Really? He just told us, you know, it's the light of the world. But isn't that how we act a lot of times when something scary is coming up? That's where our head goes. That's where our mind goes. We're Debbie Downers, Negative Nancys, Bernie Bummers. Has anyone ever heard of Bernie Bummer? Never heard of that. Sorry if your name is Debbie, Nancy, or Bernie. But (laughs) the light of the world just told them that they're going to be all right because he's the light, right? And his response is, all right, let's go. We might die. Right? Now, I know Thomas earned the nickname Doubting Thomas. Not just because of this, but later on, he doubts the resurrection. He says, I got to see it with my eyes. Right? But I think that the nickname is a little bit unfair to Thomas. Okay? It might be more fair to call him Logical Thomas. Logical Thomas. It's not illogical to think that they might die with Jesus if they go to Judea. And later on, Jesus actually does die there. And 11 of the 12 disciples will die because of their faith in him. Thomas isn't crazy. He's logical. Right? He's logical. Doubting Thomas or logical Thomas? The problem is our logic is can't account 
for the power and the plan of God. Human reasoning always falls short of the divine. And like Thomas, we're tempted to believe only if we can figure it out. Only if we can see what's coming. Only if we can prepare, right? How often does this logic keep us from seeing God do something miraculous? How often does it blind us to God's glory? How often does it lead us to an if? So there we have it. Human logic can lead us to what if. Therefore, we cannot trust our own logic. We have to trust Christ's divinity always. All right. So let's read now 17 through 44. This is a very long passage of scripture, so hang in there with me. Okay. 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am resurrection and life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After this, she had said this, after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he have, who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Last two verses. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Then the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Man, right? Wrapped up, stuff around his face. He's hopping out of a grave. Could you imagine being there? Man, okay. We are now talking about the sisters. The sisters. The second if statement shows us that pain and loss can lead us to if only. We had what if. Now if only. In verse 21, Martha says it. In verse 32, Mary says it. 
if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, if both women said it at separate times, mind you, don't you think they probably were talking about it to each other at some point in the last four days? Probably multiple times, right? Probably multiple times. They had four days, four days to think about this. Not because they were bitter, right? But because they loved and believed in Jesus so much that they knew if he had just been there, this wouldn't have happened. They knew if he had been in their proximity, this would not have happened. That was their plan, right? You ever think about that? That was their plan. Send him a letter. Get him to come. Our brother's going to be fine. And there was such a deep confidence there. But out of deep confidence came deep emotion when the plan didn't come to pass, right? The plan did not come to pass. So the pain and the loss was very, very unbearable. Have you ever had an if-only thought and uh, you just thought it because you didn't want to say it because you didn't want people to think you didn't have faith? <laughs> nope, just me. Okay. All right. If only, if only, right? So now let's look at Jesus' response, verses 23 through 26. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And she said, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said, I know he'll rise again because she knew the Old Testament. She understood God's promise that the grave is not the end. But in this moment, in this moment, Jesus is talking about something even bigger and even more remarkable. Jesus didn't say, I can resurrect people and I have life. He said, I am the resurrection. I am life. Huge difference, right? Our hope is not in a resurrection event. Our hope is in a person, Jesus Christ. Nothing can hinder him from giving life because he doesn't have it. He is it, right? He is life. We can lose our life. It's going to happen. Someday, we don't know when, hopefully later than sooner, right? Okay, Jesus can't lose his life. He can't lose his life. He laid it down, but his resurrection was proof that death could not take life from him. In the previous chapter 10, verse 18, he said, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father that is the authority, right? Now, after he talks to Martha, Martha says, I got to go get Mary. She goes to get Mary. Mary responds to Jesus with the same if-only statement. Lord, if you had just been here, if only you had been here. But Jesus responds to him differently this time. Did you notice? His response is different with Mary. Why? We don't know. We don't know. But this time he mourns. He mourns. He's moved in his spirit. He weeps with them and with Mary. Now, he knows what he's about to do, right? He knows what's about to go down. He knows that what he's going to do is take away that suffering. But before he fixes their problem, 
He joins in their pain. Think about that. He knew that there was about to be rejoicing. He knew there was about to be life. But before he fixed it, he joined in their pain. He got down. You know how like when a toddler cries, you kind of bend down. You get like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. That's what Jesus was doing. He got down there. He had such compassion. He didn't shy away from the uncomfortable brokenness that they were going through. And out of love, he sat and he wept with the ones that were weeping. That's who my Jesus is. Amen. He walks with them, and they arrive at the tomb, and he tells them, take away the stone. And this is what he's saying. We don't have to stay here. We don't have to stay in this morning now. Remember who I am. I am life. So let's be real here in verse 39 when Martha says, but Lord, he's going to stink. Everybody say, he's going to stink. It's hard not to laugh, right? I mean, it's just funny. Like the Bible can be funny, right? So listen to what I found in my research, okay? This is a quote. This is biologically what was happening to Lazarus, okay? In a body that's not alive anymore, all the bad stuff happens within 72 hours. The Jews did not embalm. They did nothing to stop the decay. They wrapped the body and sprinkled spices on it to mitigate the smell. That's it. Here's what happens in four days. The heart stops beating. The body cells are then deprived of oxygen, and they begin to die. Blood drains from throughout the circulatory system, and it pools in the low places. Muscles begin to stiffen in what is commonly known by the Latin rigor mortis, and this sets in in just three hours. By 24 hours, the body has lost all of its heat. The muscles then lose their rigor mortis in 36 hours, and by 72, rigor mortis is gone. All stiffness is gone, and the body is soft. Looking a little bit deeper, as cells begin to die, bacteria go to work. The bacteria in the body of the dead person begin to attack, breaking the cells down. The decomposing tissue takes a horrific look and smell and emits green liquids by the 72nd hour. The tissue releases hydrogen sulfide, methane, as well as other gases. The horrible smell is emitted, and insects and animals will consume parts of the body if they can get to it. Meet Lazarus. Like, <gasps> smelly, soft, oozing Lazarus. <sighs> right? That's the condition that he's in when Jesus steps onto the scene. So Martha, I mean, she's just saying how it is. Right? But Lord, by this time there's a bad odor. Or he's been there four days. I bet bad odor was the understatement of all understatements. <laughs> right? <laughs> But all the way back in verse 4, Jesus told the disciples, this sickness will not end in death. Did it? Technically, yeah. <laughs> and no, right? For Lazarus, the train stopped at death, but then the journey didn't end there. The train started up again. Death didn't get the last word, and the sickness did not end in death, but it ended in resurrection. So divine power was on display. There's that divinity again, right? That's the stuff that we don't understand. Listen to this other quote. When Jesus said, Lazarus, come out, and the man came hopping out of the grave with his hands and feet 
bound by the grave clothes, the divine power of God Almighty had reversed rigor mortis and decay. Listen to this. It poured new life into rotted organs, and it started a bloodless and decomposing heart to pumping new and fresh blood to every organ and every limb. This divine power was the kind of power that created a brand new body and brand new blood out of nothing, and it made it flow fast and fresh. It took sightless and decomposed eyes and gave them new tissue, nerve, and vision. This divine power took a non-functioning, decomposed mass of a brain tissue, and it recreated it so it could think and feel and move and speak. It was a staggering display of power over a man's body who had been dead for four days. Like, when you think about it that way, no one else could do that. No one else can reverse that. It, it, was, it was bad. He was stinky. He was soft. And his power came in and reversed it all. And I bet you he was better than he, than he was before. I mean, it doesn't say that, so you, we can't quote me, right? But I have a feeling. You will encounter no situation in life in which God cannot be glorified. I promise you, we're probably not going to be smelly and stinky and soft, right, until it's our time to go. If God can do that, he can do anything in our lives. We will not encounter any situation in which God cannot be glorified. Mary and Martha were met with pain and loss, but the I am arrived on the scene, and he wasn't late. He won't be late, right? He'll always be right on time. And if we feel like he's a little late, then we better get ready to see a dead man get raised. We better get ready. Just hold on. We have to get our eyes off of the corpse and onto the Christ. We have to get our eyes off of the problem that we're going through and get our eyes on the problem solver. We have to stop being so comfortable with the if-onlys and get confident in the I am. Amen? If only. So we've had what if, and we've had if only. This is the third and final if, worship team, if you'd like to come back. This third if statement shows us that religion can lead us to an if I. Religion can lead us to an if I. I'm going to read verses 45 through 57. This will help us finish the chapter. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, he spoke up, you know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and to make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, What do you think? 
Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they could arrest him. Did you catch what it said in verse 48? Verse 48. If we let him go on like this, if we let him go on, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will take away our temple and our nation. I think that's the saddest if of all. I think that's the saddest if of all in this, in this passage of scripture. This if I mentality caused them to miss the I am. The Pharisees called together this these other religious leaders, the Sadducees, um, in something called the Sanhedrin. This was the highest judicial body in Israel. They had political power and they had spiritual power and they served under Roman authority. For them, the power and popularity of Jesus was a significant problem. And honestly, if we had been in that meeting, you know, we would have seen them open with prayer. We would have been impressed by their priestly robes and thought, man, they really know all that you know all about God they're so godly they're so religious this is amazing but all of this religion and all of this biblical knowledge was theirs yet they were unable to see the glory of God's son because you see you can be religious and still be lost you can memorize scripture and still be ignorant of its truth You can say all the right things. You can act all the right ways of what you think church is supposed to be like, but not have a heart that has been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. The religious leader's primary concern was maintaining control. And Jesus threatened their position and he threatened their influence. So they decided we have to take matters into our own hands. Religion will always cause us to focus on I. Focus on I. Their position and their power blinded them. What they'd been studying their whole lives was standing right in front of them and all they could do was argue with him. In verse 53, it said, so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Before that, they'd get angry in the moment. They'd argue with him. They'd threaten to stone him for blasphemy. Now, we're planning his death. We're going to the next level. It is now plotting and planning the death of Jesus Christ. They ordered anyone who found Jesus to tell them so that they could arrest them, arrest him. The religious leaders who for years and years and years were awaiting the Messiah are now saying, if I can just kill him, if I can just kill him, I won't lose my place. It said in verse 48, our temple, our nation. You know, if you think of them individually, my temple, my nation. Since when? That was not the plan. It was never, ever theirs. It was God's temple. It was God's nation. They didn't just miss the I am. It goes on, they murdered the I am. Right? You'll see next week, get this, they even wanted to murder Lazarus. This poor dude, he just got brought back to life. He didn't do anything. They wanted to murder Lazarus. Why? Because he was evidence of what God could do. The evidence we sung about this morning, Lazarus, if that's not evidence, I don't know what is. And they had to get rid of him. 
all they could see was that it was theirs and they couldn't lose it. Maybe one of our daily prayers needs to be, Lord, help me take the I out of the equation today. Take control, take the lead, because I don't want to miss and I don't want to murder what you've got for me today.